Hello, I'm Isabel Markham with Private Equity International. Early this year, a group of lawyers at Proskauer put out a list of the top 10 legal risks facing private equity funds in 2019. Among the biggest regulatory and litigation risks facing private funds are cyber risk, an increasingly active Securities and Exchange Commission Office of Compliance, Inspections and Examinations, and hyped-up unicorn valuations. I sat down with two of the list's co-authors, Josh Newville, a partner in Proskauer's litigation department in New York, and Tim Mungoven, who chairs the litigation department and is also co-head of both the commercial litigation practice and the asset management litigation team. We discussed what firms can expect in the year ahead. The direction of the SEC's gaze this year is on the protection of individual retail investors. However, Newville says he doesn't expect the scrutiny of private fund managers to ease off. I'm not sure that that means the focus is completely gone from private fund advisors or more institutional wealth managers. You know, the the SEC has said that they're very focused on retail investors, and they've got a task force on that, but they haven't eliminated the groups that are focused on private funds and large wealth managers and private equity hedge funds. We're still seeing a lot of focus there. What I think they're trying to do is be more targeted and focus on risks rather than focusing on, you know, for example, doing a top to bottom exam of a particular fund advisor, they may focus on one or two or three or four issues that are top of mind for them or that are top of mind based on risks that they see in the industry and focus on just those issues and kind of do more of a deep dive on those issues and move on in order to get greater coverage on the fund advisor space. I think over the past five years, they've really improved you know, the depth and level of expertise that they have in the space. So, for example, you know, five, six years ago, they didn't have a specialized uh, exam unit that focused on private funds. They just examined those as part of the standard investment advisor, investment company program. Now they've got examiners that you know, either are from the industry or have been focused on the industry for the past few years. And those folks have really improved their knowledge base as it relates to different types of funds. They know how different structures work. They know what the different concepts are that people talk about. So it's a little bit easier to have a conversation. Mungoven points out that the SEC is a reactive regulator that's watching the private fund space very carefully. No one should be lulled into a false sense of security that they're not going to face difficult questions from the SEC just because the SEC seems to be more focused at this time on retail investors. And nor should anyone take any sense of comfort that the coast is clear, so to speak, with respect to expectations for managing businesses in accordance with the standards that the SEC has been laying out over the last four or five years just because the SEC seems to be focused more on retail now. If you're a private fund that has yet to be examined by the SEC, you can expect to knock on the door soon. I think chances are you'll probably have some sort of interaction with the SEC staff within the next year or two, maybe. I think their their exam coverage rate has gone up to about 17% in the last fiscal year that they reported. And they've done that through more targeted exams. And that's up from maybe you know, 9, 10, 11% in past years. Proskauer's list includes disclosure of fees, expenses, and conflicts of interest in enforcement, something that's been on the regulator's hit list for years. Despite this, it is still the issue that comes up the most in SEC exams. Big shops that 
have the ability and resources to look at their disclosures, look at what other people in the industry are doing, and really evaluate what their LPs want, have been very focused on this issue. You know, you can, you can see if you go back in time, there were a number of cases that the SEC brought on various aspects of fee and expense disclosure. And I think they kind of sent out a message to the industry using those. And, and most folks have looked at those and said, you know, let's, let's reevaluate where things are and make sure that we're doing things the right way. But I know that the SEC is still continuing to focus on expense disclosure, fee disclosure. I mean, those are things that come up in most exams. And those are things that they're continuing to be very focused on. Mungovan points out that there's an inherent conflict of interest in the way managers are compensated. It's important to keep in mind that managers under the law are fiduciaries. Registered investment advisors are fiduciaries to the funds that they manage. And the most inherent conflict in the relationship is how they get paid. And so... The fees and expenses which account for payment and reimbursement to the advisor is core to the ultimate relationship between the fund and the advisor. And it's a significant conflict of interest that will always exist, but it's a permitted conflict as long as it is disclosed. And so that's why I believe that the SEC will always focus on that issue for every manager even though it's been an area of intense focus for years now. now. I think one thing that the SEC looks at is if there's ambiguity in the governing documents, they view, because the fund manager is a fiduciary to the fund and arguably to the LPs, if there's an ambiguity in the governing documents, then that would typically have to be read in favor of the fund or in favor of the LPs in their mind. So that's something to... You know, think about. The SEC has once again stated that cybersecurity is a top exam priority for 2019, but it has been a focus for many private funds for a while. Newville has a warning for those who think their firms have a handle on it. The, the question is not, you know, if we're going to be subject to a cyber event, it's when, and most of those cyber events are things that go undetected for some time. The regulator is looking for the following things, Mungovan adds. Number one, do you have a policy? If you've had a cyber event, did you follow the policy? If you deviated from the policy, why did you deviate from the policy? And then lastly, do you have cyber breach insurance? He says many clients have been looking into insurance policies that cover certain types of cyber threats. These policies have been getting increasingly popular over the past few years. There are varying you know, uh, levels of protection and uh, events that can be covered depending on the insurer and the broker and the type of business that you have. But as a practical matter, under the circumstances where we've been engaged, and it's happened a number of times over the last year, where a cyber breach has occurred, one of the very first questions we ask is, do you have any type of insurance coverage that will cover this event in the event that there's a loss of money or even the cost and fees of responding to a cyber event can be substantial. And so an insurance policy uh, that's appropriately tailored to the types of risk that you might face and the type of precise business that a manager has, depending on their niche and uh, where they manage their business, a, a policy can make sense. With high-profile IPOs hitting the headlines in the first half of this year, 
it's no surprise to see potential conflicts around overvaluation of unicorns on the list. There are a few things Mungovan suggests funds with a heavy concentration in unicorns should be looking out for. I don't think any of the underlying risks or concerns have gone away. If, if anything, to some degree, they've increased and the stakes have gotten higher because the investment in companies has only increased and the number of unicorns has only increased. For me, I would say the biggest thing for investment managers with a heavy concentration of investments in unicorns to look for is, number one, their own involvement with those unicorns. Are they on the board? Do they have observer rights? Are they watching carefully the functioning of the business, not just the increase in value? He also says he's looking out for a possible inflection point, where a certain number of unicorns achieve liquidity events through IPOs or strategic transactions. This might then put pressure on other companies to follow suit, whether they're ready or not. If they're not ready, what happens? Does the offering or the liquidity event fail in some way? And if it does, what happens to the unicorn? If there are disappointing outcomes in terms of performance, there will almost assuredly be uh, disappointment that turns into controversy and potentially disputes either among investors or among employee shareholders. Private equity firms are increasingly turning to alternative data sets to help inform investment decisions. These include geolocation data, satellite imaging and information from credit card receipts, and it extends to activities such as web scraping and web crawling. This is an area fraught with potential issues. What we've been talking to clients about for years is making sure that the vendors that you use have adequate provenance for the data that they're obtaining, that they're obtaining data that they have the rights to obtain and the rights to use, and that nothing along the chain of obtaining or working with the data can be seen as manipulative or deceptive. Those would be red flags if I was looking at a particular data set. If something just wasn't right in that whole chain of collection, if somehow somebody was not upfront about their identity or the purpose for collecting information, there's some heightened risk there. And and it's not only from a regulatory standpoint as to material non-public information. This is an area that is not always clear-cut, Mungovan says. It is very difficult to draw the line, and it, it requires some significant degree of both judgment and what I'll call common sense. And in a lot of ways, it's reminiscent of the expert networks in the late 2000s that turned into a number of insider trading cases where people believed that they were hiring expert networks or experts to give information about something and opine on issues. And in some cases, that's all that they were. And in other cases, they were effectively conduits for inside information. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that uh, the web scraping or that type of data is akin to insider information, but rather the point is that in evaluating data, people need to consider the source of the data and whether they're authorized to use it and whether the obtaining of that data by itself is in some way improper. That again was Proskauer Partners Josh Newville and Tim Mungovan. If you want to hear more episodes of the Spotlight podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and across PEI Media's various titles online. For Private Equity International, I'm Isabel Markham. Thanks for listening.